From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 25, a quarter of a century old we are at Free and Inspired Radio. And as always, a special greeting to you if you're new to the show or you're a returning listener. I hope this list, this week's episode can be of help to you. Episode 25, we're asking if the same solutions still help insomnia in a post-COVID world. Now, the answer to the question, if you are impatient, <laughs> is that it seems so. However, as with insomnia in the pre-pandemic era and unraveling what what might have caused insomnia in the first place is an important, complex and personalized priority. In In this episode, we'll be looking at what the most recent studies say about how the prevalence of insomnia has changed during and post the pandemic, causes of insomnia in general and some solutions, most importantly, that you may or may not have considered to help if you're living with a sleeping disturbance or a sleeping problem. Now, insomnia affected many people before the pandemic hit. It's important to state that even before the COVID landed, so to speak, insomnia affected up to one third of the general population in the US. Hong Kong had a unique civil unrest situation before the pandemic hit in 2019 with estimates from a survey of 1,004 people suggesting an increase in insomnia by 20% even before the onset of COVID-19 in the region. When the pandemic hit in 2019, a group of people studied in Europe showed up to 60% increase in reported insomnia. It wasn't only until 2020 that we saw it and I think the world really understood it, but there was some really big increases um, heavily connected with the worries around the virus and the uncertainty around it as well. And let's be honest, hey, if there's ever a reasonable thing to lose sleep over, it's an alien illness trying to integrate itself into our earth and our people. (laughs) It's important to note that worries and stress are only considered risk factors for insomnia and not necessarily causative. So it leaves us a few questions. Where does that leave those experiencing insomnia for the first time or those who have developed insomnia post COVID-19 infection? Is it the worry we've just referred to or is it the effect of COVID-19 on the brain? Now, those questions express the complexity of insomnia post-COVID because, according to researchers, it's worry, infection, and more than that. Coronasomnia. I think if you've been a regular listener to this show, you know that I 
don't mind the odd buzzword. So coronasomnia is a phenomenon described in many research articles and is believed to be caused by a combination of these effects. The effects include implications of COVID infection on the brain, reduced daylight exposure due to either working from home or lockdowns, and the somewhat continuous media coverage around the economic and social recession brought on by the pandemic, which can I say is a really understated effect. And let's move forward, though. The anxiety was increased. Um, Excuse me, one of the first studies that was looking at this or brought these contrasting components together was a web-based survey done in China with just over 7,000 adults. So once again, we're getting into some good, we've had a few episodes recently, we've had some good studies, which is great, not just the small ones or the, the rat studies. In this survey, excuse me, people people's knowledge about COVID-19, anxiety, depressive symptoms, and sleep quality were explored. And results-wise, anxiety was increased in the group by 35%. Depressive symptoms were up in that group by 20%, and sleep quality down by almost 20%. Anxiety levels increased based on the time spent consuming media around the pandemic, and both the anxiety and depressive symptoms were at higher levels in younger people. And once again, I think we've seen that younger people can be quite heavily affected here, so that's another important part of this. Now, all three of these symptoms, anxiety, depression, and insomnia, have long been interlinked. However, post-traumatic stress syndrome, or PTSD, is now also a consideration, especially for those in the harder-hit regions, people involved, of course, in healthcare units, and survivors of COVID themselves, especially if they've been respirated or something along those lines, some form of hospitalization. A higher prevalence of PTSD has been noted in all of those categories and broader populations, potentially compounding sleep problems and making the origin and the solution harder to pinpoint. This process is even more challenging because PTSD for some might not actually be the right way to describe what's been going on or the experience that people have been having. Another condition called adjustment disorder could be more appropriate. Whilst the prevalence of adjustment disorder compared to PTSD is being investigated in different regions, the symptoms of adjustment disorder seem to be close and relevant. The central theme is an inability to adapt to unpredictable situations and a preoccupation with the stressor. Remember when we discussed the connection between insomnia and media consumption, so that preoccupation can present itself in a few different ways. This need to accurately define people's experiences is one of the most important things I've learned from working with psychiatrists and other mental health practitioners, and this is especially the case in insomnia. This specificity, win for me, 10 out of 10 gold star for pronouncing that correctly. Let me see if I can do it again. This specificity is important for both practitioners and patients alike. The closer you can be to properly articulating what's going on, the better chance you have of successfully intervening. This is why we're starting the show around insomnia by looking into some of these different causes. So for example, let's look at a common situation in the clinic. I have a patient coming to ask for some assistance with their insomnia, so I naturally inquire to the origin of it. And my patient mentions that they can feel anxious a lot, which leads to the next question. What other words would you use to describe your anxiety? So in true 
to form if you're listening to this and you want to uh, <laughs> work along with me with a pen and paper, just pause the podcast and try and write down some of the words that you would use to describe your anxiety aside from using the word anxiety. So this question is up there in my top five uh, without a doubt. Why? Because sometimes other descriptions for anxiety could be restlessness, agitation, feeling unsafe, or feeling wired, all of which have entirely different stigmas for anxiety and alternative interventions in some cases. So this line of questioning also provides a platform to clear the mystery behind where some of these sleep disturbances originate, something that can be incredibly reassuring if you're living with either acute or chronic insomnia. Now, even with this tiny level of analysis here, it's just easy to see how convoluted treating insomnia can be at the best of times. Pandemic aside, this has always been the case. And one of the primary reasons for this is that the origins are similar to the gut-brain axis we discussed in many of the episodes of Friends by Radio can be bi-directional. Let's use PTSD and sleep disturbances as an example. Even pre-pandemic, a growing body of evidence investigating these two conditions found that they affected each other, not too dissimilar from the way stress can influence irritable bowel syndrome. Then throw in a brand new virus into the mix and it gets just that little bit harder to pinpoint what's causing your sleep disturbances, or at least that's how it seems. COVID-19 infection affects the brain in a few alarming ways to explain insomnia symptoms. However, a selection of these origins could also be associated with pre-pandemic insomnia, which is where it kind of gets a little confusing. But as you'll see as we progress to the episode, it also means that the solutions can still be effective, which is important. So let me start again. A selection of these origins could already be associated with pre-pandemic insomnia. For example, one of the critical drivers of mental health conditions is inflammation in the brain, aptly called neuroinflammation. Some studies suggest that sleep disturbances caused by COVID-19 infections can drive this neuroinflammation, in turn rebounding and worsening insomnia. Yep, the inflammatory chemicals from COVID can cause the gateway to your brain called the blood-brain barrier to become a little more open than it usually would be. This leakiness allows the viral proteins to get into the brain, causing more neuroinflammation. Not only that, COVID-19 has a preference for the regions of the brain that regulate your sleep. So I'll repeat that. COVID-19 has a preference for the regions of the brain that help regulate your sleep, the prefrontal cortex, basal ganglia, and the hypothalamus. So whether or not this is the primary cause of increased sleep problems in 2022 remains to be seen. But a leaky brain can cause other issues, unfortunately. And this is where things get complex. When it comes to the origin of why some people can't solve their insomnia, because we've got already, in 10 minutes, we've got a multifaceted situation going on here, don't we? So a leaky brain is often associated with a leaky gut and can worsen your anxiety and depression symptoms. And as we saw before, this worsening can make your sleep worse. So once again, not only do we have quite a few different potential origins, these origins can also be what we call bi-directional, so they can influence each other in equal way. Don't despair. 
as pinning down the origin of your insomnia can be complex, but the solutions we've used in the past can still help. And this is precisely what we're going to be exploring after the break here on Free and Inspire Radio. I always have this weird guilt that I'm making you wait for the good stuff, but look, it's only a very short break, and it helps me have a drink of water so that I can then come back and talk about some of these solutions for insomnia in a post-COVID world. You're listening to Free and Inspired Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back with more after this. Woo! Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Yes, yes. Welcome back to episode 25 of Free and Inspired Radio. Thanks for chilling out over the break there we're looking at insomnia in this episode and as it stands in a post-covid world and whether or not the same solutions still apply so in part one we've explored the origins of insomnia and how these have been affected by covid and now in part two it's time to assess your options to solve it so we're going to get to the good stuff now when dealing with a situation where there are multiple potential causes, it's still important to choose the invention, the intervention that has the best chance of getting you to sleep. You don't need to go and do four years of a degree to really work that out either as a practitioner or a patient, right? Whether or not anything has helped beforehand will influence this initial choice and most commonly the first thing most patients have been attempting to take is melatonin. So let's look at that first. Clinically, for me, I must say that melatonin has been a little bit hit and miss. And if you delve deep into the Instagram internet world, there was a video I did for IMI, the clinic that I work at, uh, probably three or four years ago, where the research around melatonin was really kind of poor, but only really for jet lag, right? So it, it's known for jet lag. There's If you're traveling, melatonin is going to work really well for you. So look, it's not that it's hit and miss because it's not good for you it's just i think sometimes it doesn't work for everybody and this is what we're going to explore now there is substantial research though to say that it does help in certain ways and these ways can when it does work it works really really well so as i said i don't want to give an imbalanced version of that does help melatonin help with insomnia well yes there are good cases to say that it does a meta-analysis, which is a type of review that pulls similar uh, studies together to draw better conclusions, combined the results of 23 randomized controlled trials. That's pretty solid. Interestingly, the conclusion found that melatonin had positive effects on sleep quality for people. So if you're tracking your sleep, you'll see improvements there uh, for it, uh, sorry, positive effects on sleep quality for people with respiratory, metabolic, and primary sleep disorders, but not for people living with mental or neurodegenerative conditions. Now, this contrast may go some way to explaining the mixed results when using melatonin. So there could actually be a reason for these kind of mixed results that I've seen clinically as well. So if you're new to melatonin, it's a hormone that's naturally produced in the brain's pineal gland when the light changes at the end of the day. So not many people know that the same amino acid or part of protein that creates serotonin, tryptophan, 
also produces melatonin. So that's a big one. So your protein intake is also very important when it comes to sleep because one of the building blocks to create your melatonin is a part of protein. So your diet comes in there. All hormones have broad effects spanning different body systems. Melatonin is no different. The effects of melatonin are experienced in the immune system, cardiovascular system, and respiratory system, along with your hormones and central nervous system, obviously, in the brain. And it's for this reason that then the melatonin may have these differing effects. It's not so much that it doesn't work, as I've mentioned. It's more so that its benefits may present from more specific origins of insomnia. Now, are you one of the people for which melatonin doesn't work? So for most, then the next step is to check if it's your blood sugar. Now, I've done a full episode on blood sugar and sleep. It's called What If Your Sleep Aids Don't Work? Um, And it's episode eight of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm very proud of myself. Normally, when I refer to other episodes of this podcast, I forget which number (laughs) of the episode I'm referring to. So I made a point of checking this time. I've lost count of how many times I've seen cases of insomnia turn around after treating people's blood sugar. I had a case two weeks ago of a patient using trazodone and the I added some blood sugar help to that and currently she's able to minimize the amount of trazodone. So if you're new to trazodone, it's a sleep aid, a pharmaceutical sleep aid um, and she's able to minimize the amount of trazodone she's using now. Uh, along with the help of her psychiatrist, which is cool, right? You, you may find that sometimes the not obvious things are the ones that really help. So the good news is it's pretty easy to spot if your blood sugar might be the problem for your insomnia or your sleep, and it's how you respond to missing meals in the day. A common question I ask patients is how they adjust to missing meals or whether or not they feel as if they have to eat regularly to avoid low blood sugar symptoms. So if you're new to those symptoms, these include fatigue, dizziness, tremors, palpitations, anxiety, and hunger. So of course, (laughs) if you experience these symptoms after three or four hours of not eating during the day, this might explain why you wake after a similar time in the night, as in it's the parallel time of fasting. So the body has built-in mechanisms to prevent your blood sugar from going too low for the brain's sake. And if this happens, it will use a spurt of adrenaline to correct this. Whilst this works for your blood sugar, this can obviously wake you up with a bit of a start, making it difficult to go back to sleep because, you know, you've got a little bit of a spurt of adrenaline. It's time to act. So what if it's not your blood sugar, though? Is there anything else that might help? Now, there are a lot of different herbs that have been used successfully for sleep, valerian, passionflower. I'm sure if you're living with a sleep disturbance, you've probably tried a lot of these. But I wanted to pick a herb that kind of covered the COVID conversation a little bit as well. So some of that neuroinflammation that we discussed, but also some of the what they call situational anxiety that can you can feel when you're presented with a situation that's confronting and can be hard to adjust to. So the herb I've chosen that often trumps a lot of others for sleep disturbances, I might say, is called Piper methysticum, or good old carver, carver, carver. I've chosen this herb specifically, as I said, for the function I, I believe it can have in the insomnia and COVID conversation. Now, remember we discussed how neuroinflammation is a large part of COVID-oriented insomnia, or my new favorite word, coronasomnia. Carver has exhibited some excellent effects in calming that brain inflammation down. An excellent study is around its use for generalized anxiety disorder 
an action confirmed by the prestigious Cochrane Review. Now, building on the anxiety effects, kava has been shown to improve deep sleep periods, which is good for feeling refreshed. It's also the period of time where your brain cleans itself as well, so that's good. And also, kava can help with sleep induction as well. So if you're new to the way insomnia is defined, there's two different types. One is basically having trouble getting to sleep, and the other is consistent waking and not being able to get back to sleep, or obviously both. Another action relevant to sleep is a positive effect Carver can have on recognition and memory tasks with benefit for visual attention and working memory. That's a very small study, but I think one of the key things about living with insomnia is that your day changes, right? You have trouble focusing. Oftentimes your working memory isn't as good and Carver can also have an effect on that as well. I added this in because I think it's important to note there was a recent study done by Jerome Sharris in Australia who is a, pretty much one of the world experts on Carver and for he did this did a study for generalized anxiety and Carver actually didn't help. Now this is really interesting because I think everyone was expecting that study to be very much confirmatory of Carver's role in generalized anxiety disorder. But the future is still bright for its role in sleep and inflammation. So definitely watch this space. And as I said, for the conversation that we're having today about sleep, kava, I think, can still be very much a great thing for you. Also, kava does have a history of affecting the liver. So quick disclaimer, speak to someone before you go and prescribe yourself kava. In fact, speak to someone before you prescribe yourself anything because one, you may just be wasting your time and choosing the wrong thing. But with herbal medicine, the type of herb that you, the herb you use, so the parts of the plant that you choose or the standardized ingredients that they use or the form, whether it's a liquid in a cap or something like that, can all affect the efficacy of the herb. So you may think you're getting kava on the label, but really the formula that they've put together and the formulation, so to speak, the way they've manufactured it, all of these things can make it less or more effective. So make sure you speak to someone who's got some training and they can help you pick the right one if you think kava is appropriate for you. So we asked in the beginning of this episode, do the same solutions still apply post-COVID when it comes to insomnia? Now, I would say that the answer is yes. We've seen in this episode that the uncertainty of lockdowns, pandemic anxiety and the infection itself have all added a new dimension to insomnia. The fact that there's even a term, coronasomnia, I've managed to say it four times and I'm so happy even exists is a testament to that. Now, however, this doesn't mean that we don't have the necessary solutions to continue to solve either waking issues or problems getting to sleep. The same solutions can still apply. I think, though, it might just take some work to get there, but rest assured that you can rely on evidence-based ways to get back to sleeping as well. As always, before we finish this episode of Free and Inspired Radio, if you would love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcast episodes, and more, Jump over to the website, philipwatkins.health, and join our community via the newsletter to sign up on the homepage there or any of the pages. Uh, there's lots of great articles going up. We're still uploading everything. The website hasn't officially been launched just yet. So if you're going there and saying, wait a minute, where's the transcript for whichever episode of the podcast, please bear with us. The first week of June is the date. 
So there'll be everything there, references, you name it, it'll be all up. So if you want to know when that is going to be launched, please sign up to the newsletter and you'll be the first to know. Your 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 reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me get the word on the street about Free and Inspired Radio. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and subscribe to see when each new video or each new podcast is uploaded. I like to send some shouts to the new listeners of the show every week. It's it's just amazing to see people joining the community and staying around, listening to previous episodes as well. It's wonderful. This show is about helping you find the freedom to feel inspired again. And I hope if you're living with insomnia that this gets you one step closer this week. Until next week, don't forget to take care of yourself and those around you and we'll be back with more Freedom Inspired Radio next week. Bye. Oh my gosh, you made it to the end. This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.